Information and Innovation podcast from Team Defence. Again from Logan 18, today we have a briefing from Air Commodore Andy Curtis. Our next speaker, if I may, I think there's a gentleman leading the stage. Um, our next speaker is Air Commodore Andy Curtis, who comes to speak to us in his position as the Program Director for Defenseport Network Transformation Program, or DSNT as you know for short. Air Commodore Andy is a career logistician within the RAF, serving Operation Grandy in the first Gulf War, although it doesn't look uh, still young, and in Afghanistan twice on operations. First in the post 9 11 Operation Veritas, and then later as part of the UK National Support Command for Operation Heritage. More recently, he has written policy within the Ministry of Defence for Logistics, took the position of Deputy Chief of Staff for the Joint Forces Headquarters, to Haiti for the earthquake relief, and to Malta as Chief of Staff overseeing the non combatant operation or evacuation operation from Libya in 2011. Ecolo Curtis will speak to us today about the development within the Defence Support Network Transformation Program um, and has seen, that he has seen over the last six months since the previous LogNet conference and where the next stop and steps for the program Amazon. Well, yeah, good question. 
But what do you actually mean by just doing Amazon? So if you look at the way we do supply at the moment, if you need something in any of the services, you go to a storeman, you ask for it, he's either got it in his store, or he goes onto a machine and he puts a demand in, and at some point in the future, if you're lucky, it arrives. Because that's not Amazon. But a lot of people, especially in the military, when you talk about Amazon as a solution, they still keep that logistician, they still keep that storeman in the process. It's still, you know, if I'm a user, I'm going to go to somebody and ask him for something. Well, we don't need to do that. Now, if this sounds like a turkey voting for Christmas, it kind of is. But actually, if you go down the Amazon model, you can get rid of the majority of those logisticians. I don't need a logistician sat in front of the terminal typing the button. If you, you don't go to an Amazon employee when you want to buy something on Amazon, you do it yourself. So the move has got to be to actually get that end user to be doing that stuff themselves. Now, I recognize that it's not that simple. Um, if you give um, um, private snoops the opportunity to dive in and order a pair of boots, He'll probably order 10, he'll put one on his feet, and he'll go down to Western Market and sell the other nine. So we've obviously got to manage against that, but we can do that. You know, that there are systems in place to allow us to. But that's the sort of approach that we've got to get to. But we've also get, got to get there by allowing technology to be used by people who are expecting to use technology. This kind of thing's been mentioned earlier today. Um, but we've got to move into that space. So uh, there was a survey that said, I think in 2020, 50% of the global workforce will be I can't say the word, millennials. How many people in the room are millennials? One, two, three, four, five. So that kind of says a little bit on its own. But, but we've got to focus, we've got to give them the user experience that, that, that they want. And so, again, I'm not an expert on this, but I read up on it. So you, you come across things like you know, BYOD. I have no idea what BYOD stood for, so I asked my daughter, who's just finished university, bring your own drinks, Dad. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if that's a reflection on her having a good time at university or me being a poor parent. Apparently, it stands for bring your own devices. 79% of those people expect to be able to do work on their own devices. So, you know, why aren't we moving in that direction? Why aren't we getting to a position where the individual, on his own tablet, his own um, iPhone, can actually put those demands in with the right checks and balances? So if we're moving in that direction, what does that then mean if you broaden that out? Well, does that mean you've just done away with all the stores on main operating bases? You don't need a quartermaster anymore? Well, possibly. So what does that then mean in terms of, you know, we've got one fulfillment center, maybe we need six. Maybe actually we can move to that, that place where we are satisfying the demand via an Amazon process with a number, the minimum number of large fulfillment centers. By doing that, you are, you are um, using today's technology you are reducing the number of servicemen that you need to do that job. You are driving your costs down. But the idea of highlighting that on this screen, of course, is a lot of what we are doing in the home base, in the strategic base, we're doing because we've got to do it in the operational space as well. So 
So certainly you look at my service and you look at the logisticians that we employ, we only employ them because there is a need to do the same thing on deployment. So you can't look at this in isolation. So what about using the same sort of idea on deployment? Now I'm not for a minute, I'm, I'm not sort of suggesting that we can uh, fight the next operation by looking back on how we did the last, but actually having the sort of setup that we've had on, on super bases, having some sort of fulfillment centre in the rear supply area might well be an option. Now tactically it might be the, it might not be the option in any environment, but it absolutely is out there as as as, as a way forward. And you then to finish that off, look at some of the things that you've, we've, we've already talked about today, the autonomous resupply, that last mile work, that's absolutely fine, but I'm worried about moving large amounts of kit within the rear area. So why aren't we moving that technology, those ideas, back into the rear area? So we should absolutely be looking at using those approaches in that space. And by linking together, the way that we solve the problem in a strategic base and the way that we solve the problem in the operational space, you make sure that you don't generate a problem in one place by solving another, uh, a problem in the other, or vice versa. So by thinking about this together and by doing all of this together, you've massively reduced the logistic footprint in the operational space, which is actually great because I now don't need them in the strategic base because I'm delivering my Amazon approach. So if somebody says, okay, give me an idea as to what the DSM might look like when you finish this, I offer that to you as the sort of things that we're looking at and that sort of overarching viewpoint that we are trying to consider within the Defence Support Network Transformation Programme. So then moving on to the slightly more tricky, perhaps, question of, so what are you actually doing about it? So again, those of you who've seen these presentations will have, will have seen this before. Um, our, our delivery phase foundations um, haven't changed. So defense support operating model, cohering the portfolio and managing my enterprise-wide programs. So you've heard lots of activity uh, today that's going, off, going on across the frontline commands. In fact, the last question session talked about making sure that was all joined up. That's absolutely the responsibility of DSMT is to provide that portfolio coherence. And then finally, the digital transformation, not just replacing IS, but fundamentally changing the business process and introducing a digital approach to doing that. So what I'm going to do now is spend a couple of minutes talking about an example in the first two of those areas, and then I'm going to hand over to Dylan, and he's going to talk about uh, the example in the last one. So the DSOL. <laughs> We've been running a, um, a piece of work on the development of, of the operating model for quite a while now. In fact, we are right at the back end of, of, of this process, and I've got a timeline at the end that, uh, that you might be interested in. But just in terms of basic methodology, um, this is absolutely a design brief. This is a top-down look at how we should be managing the enterprise. So that's the start point. What is the performance ambition? What are those principles? What is wrong at the moment? What is industry doing? Oh, by the way, what are those things that defence does that I know I can't change because, because big defence does that and this is not just about logistics or support. So 
Let's take that, let's take that design brief, let's spin that through a number of options, let's come up with um, assessment criteria against those options and put forward the preferred option. If that sounds a bit like Janet and John does project management, that's because it's Janet and John does project management. There is absolutely nothing difficult there. What it does do when it comes to looking at a design for an operating model, if you apply that approach, it does something that defence probably has never done in the past when it comes to operating models, and that's not start with a wiring diagram. Because we are absolutely brilliant at that. The idea here is not to do that. In fact, actually, is to start at the top and look at the performance. And once we've understood what that performance is, oh, let's have a look at technology that's going to deliver that. Once I've done that, then perhaps I'm going to worry about structure. And once I've worried about structure, I'm then going to think a little bit about the people that we need and the changes we might need to make to the sorts of people or the training and development of those people. So this has been quite a revelation in terms of doing this work uh, within defence. And as you can imagine, as we've stepped through stakeholder engagement, there have been um, a number of occasions, in fact, probably every single step of stakeholder engagement has been, yeah, 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 now show me the wiring diagram. We genuinely, even a month away from putting forward the proposition, do not have a wiring diagram. What we do have are some things that we know are wrong, that we know we've got to sort out. Now again, I'm not going to go through these in, in, in detail because I don't have uh, the time, but you will have the slides so you can read these. But I will pull a couple of them out. And the first one is right at the very top of performance, we don't have an integrated performance management system. We've got lots of little bits of performance measurement, some good, some less so. Um, you can look at some of the performance activity in CASPs. You can look at some of the detailed performance management across the frontline command. Um, but actually, a lot of that is tactical activity. When you bring it up to the enterprise level, what is our performance ambition? What are those headline KPIs that we're aiming for? We don't have them. So if I go back to one of the points that the General um, said this morning in his opening remarks, so, so what is support, but more importantly, who's in charge and how do you know when you're doing it right? Well, that plays to those very points. The, te the technology piece, um, again, a lot of the activity that we sort of focused on here just brings me back to a lot of the presentations we've given in the past. So a lot of the detail around technology, we already understand. Actually, by bringing that together, focused on that performance ambition, we deliver the output that we want. Interestingly, all of the options that we're looking at have those problems around performance and technology together. Then when you start to look at the range of options around structures and around people as to how you get after that, that is when things start to change and you start to actually get options. And so then when you look at structures, actually, what, what is it that we're asking? So there's a couple of questions um, in the blue boxes, which are really quite simple. So, does the MOD want somebody to be in charge? Does the MOD want some person, those of you who are aware of, of, of some of the change under NDP will be aware of the functional lead approach that Defence is taking at the moment. Um, should we have somebody accountable for the performance of all of support in accordance with that functional lead approach? And if we do, if that's what we want, how many levers are we going to give that person to pull to actually deliver that accountable, to, for them to actually become accountable? 
And so when you start to look at it in that way, you don't have to worry about the wiring diagrams and I want to put this here and I want to put that there. Because all you do is you look at those levers and you, and you work out which one of those levers or how many of those levers you want to give. And by doing that, those levers come with functions. Once you've identified the functions, you align the functions to the levers. And the ones that you decide you're going to give to that individual, that's the organisation. It really is as simple as that. And so the answer is how many of those levers do you want to give that individual? Do you want to allow them to set policy? Most people suggest that's a good idea. Do you want to make sure that, that he is responsible for assuring that policy is complied with? Sounds like pretty much a no-brainer. That performance piece, if you're going to have somebody enterprise-wide responsible, surely they've got to be setting those performance KPIs. Oh, and by the way, that would mean setting KPIs that reach down into subordinate organisations, frontline commands, the DENS, not just those top-level KPIs. So we're now starting to get into areas that might become a little bit more uncomfortable. What about financial flow? What about actually giving that individual, that, that organisation, the financial responsibility for those common support elements? So effectively, you give somebody the opportunity to veer and haul across the delivery of support activity. So for example, that could include warehousing, could include BFPO, could include joint logistic enablers. So you might actually turn to that individual and say, you're now responsible for the balance of investment decisions across that entire portfolio. So if you consider that the priority for next year is the integration of your joint logistic enablers, you take some money out of depots, you reduce the KPIs in the depots for next year, and you put that priority line. That's your responsibility. But you're only going to be able to do that if you've got an element of that financial control. So that's quite a big step. The final step then that we've looked at is, by the way, you can have command control of those people as well. But actually, that functionally now starts to command real activity. Is that something that defence wants to do? Not sure. There certainly seems to be an appetite to have the debate, and so that's where we are heading in terms of options. So the further up that scale you go, in terms of organisational structure, potentially the more radical that you become, but the more responsibility you place on that functional lead, and the more you can hold him to account for the delivery of support. So, so in, terms of, um, in terms of structural considerations, that's the methodology that we're stepping through. So final slide on this is to look at um, timelines. I've deliberately used the word anticipated up there um, because these things tend to, uh, to have a will of their own when you start to sort of nail some, some, some real dates. But we are in a position where we are looking for an operating model decision um, through the normal um, MOD process towards the back end of this year be able to then move as swiftly as possible into an implementation phase. Again, you know as well as I do how um, quickly we are able to move uh, when it comes to bringing a partner on board to help with that delivery. Realistically, we are probably looking at the beginning of the financial year to be in that place, but that does not mean to say we can't actually start doing things before that starts. So certainly our implementation plan once we've got the authority to move out, we'll have activity starting straight away, 
recognizing that it is going to take a while to bring a partner on board. But at sort of the macro level, those are the timelines that we can have. So that's the operating model. So the next, and you'll be pleased to know there's only one slide on the next one. Um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about one of the enterprise-wide um, projects that we've been developing and is getting to the stage where we should be rolling it out quite soon. And the one that I've chosen is FNRP, um, partly because there are some FNRP chats in the audience today, and if you choose to ask me difficult questions, I will just hand them over to them. Um, but more seriously, this is an area that touches across all of um, DES, all of the support activity in DES, and certainly across the frontline commands. So um, ESCIP within um, the DES ran a discovery project that we set on them earlier in the year. Some quite tight timelines and some quite demanding questions were asked. Um, interestingly, one of which, and I'm jumping down slightly, was to look at benchmarking. So ESCIP had a process. What we wanted to know was, well, how does that stack up against the industry standard? And they came back and said, you know what, there is one. But actually, having engaged with industry, this is an industry standard. And so one of the key pieces of work that they've done is actually to move this work into the space where it is accepted. So we've, we, so we've already got the publicly available specification, <coughs> and so if that is going to move forward in terms of um, uh, in, in terms of a process, this is a really good start point. So what is it there to do? You can see the second bullet down, maximising value for stakeholders over a major asset life cycle. And so it, it is quite a detailed process working with the project teams and the frontline command, looking at the way we manage uh, capability and how over the life of that capability we can actually drive down costs. Um, we're expecting this to be a uh, project that can go through the change and efficiency um, process to generate funding. We still don't know how that is going to work yet, but we are at the point where we are we pretty much finished business case writing and we are looking at getting internal endorsement um, so we can actually start rolling this out. Depending on how swiftly we do that will depend on whether or not, I'm down at the last bullet now, whether actually this is going to be an internal process or whether there is an opportunity for partnering with industry. So um, there are potentially quite large efficiencies and effectiveness improvements in FNRP. The more swift um, approach we take to that, the sooner we're going to realise those benefits. And so actually, uh, we, we absolutely recognise that there is a need to look at maybe doing this as quickly as possible by bringing in this partner on board. So stand by, more, more, more information to follow on that. So that's just a quick run through of two activities, i.e. what are we actually doing? Uh, the third one I'm going to hand over to, uh, uh, to Dylan to talk about, which is uh, an update on the, um, uh, on the defense and distance framework work um, and the innovation approach to that. Thank you. Okay, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Dylan Gardner and I'm from I'm the C1 versus architect in defense uh, logistics uh, strategy IST. Um, I'd like to kind of say uh, some updates on two major streams of work uh, relating to the Defence Logistics Framework, um, or the DLF for short. Um, as you may know, uh, the DLF is the authority's source for assess um, assessing logistics policy um, processes um, across Defence, and is currently hosted 
and in Petergate Way and Mognet. Um, Bill Medford and I ran a brief session um, during the previous Mognet, uh, 18-1, earlier this uh, year. Um, and during the, the session, uh, we asked for feedback about the what areas um, we should focus on for future improvements. Um, well, you asked, and, and we're sort of well in the way on to delivering most of those um, that people have asked for. Um, with our partner moved international, we're here today with Glass Stand um, out in the, uh, the breakout area. Um, we've started uh, planning through um, with workshops um, using user groups across the community to identify um, or sort of to, to expand on those um, sort of requests further. So some of the areas uh, people have asked for within the DLF was the ability to flag missing uh, content um, or to sort of show if there's any sort of incomplete uh, content. Um, also single search function in you know, one consistent place at the moment we have it in various areas and in various guises. So trying to sort of slimline that uh, user interface. Um, and also to access or rank sorry, assess or rank the quality of the content within the DLF, um, being able to leave comments or suggestions, um, and also more information around the context of the items that someone's looking for, so at the moment you're just getting one particular view of, of the, the item you're looking for. What we want to do is try to explain where you've come from, where you're likely to go as well. Um, also, we want to uh, give people the ability to favourite pages as well within the DLF, so that uh, you don't have to keep coming back in and searching. It's always there up front for you. If there's been any changes to that content, that's going to be shown as well. Um, another ask that we've had is for the actual policy owners themselves to be able to, to update their own content. At the moment, it goes through quite a lengthy process of going through uh, various checkpoints and then coming to the, uh, the, the architect, who's basically a team of two at the moment, uh, to, to put those changes in. So if there's a significant change going through, that could take a while to, to put that in. Um, also to address the um, problem we have with uh, connectivity as well, is the ability of downloadable deployment packs. So you go through a pick list and choose items that you want to take with you, and that will uh, produce that into a, a sort of nice little PDF document to, to take away with you. Um, so some of these improvements can actually be seen today um, on the move stand, so if you haven't done so already, I'm sort of encourage you to, to have a look at that uh, during the, the afternoon break. Um, the second update I'd like to cover is also um, the Defence Logistics attendance at the DFC's BT Hothouse Innovation event um, held in June this year. Um, logistics were asked to put forward a, a particular problem or an issue that they'd like to explore using the Hothouse uh, event. Um, and uh, the DLF was chosen for that. So what we wanted to do was try to identify the sort of user experience and try to improve that and also the quality of the content. So the BT Hothouse um, event itself is an innovation workshop where industry and SMEs are brought together uh, with the customer, um, condensing potentially months of work into three or four very long days um, and a few offline sessions as well. So although all the teams have been highly commended on the day, uh, the expert actually chose the DLF as the overall winner, so there was a really sort of real question to, to sort of move this forward. Um, our winning pitch highlighted the financial costs, which was also shown in uh, Nick's slide on the GS, uh, the JFF uh, section earlier on the quad panel. Um, so the, the, the pitch itself highlighted the financial cost of normal parts policy, and the artists were able to validate the existing content. Also, provide a plain English interface for accessing the policy 
um, looking towards using cognitive research towards artificial uh, intelligence. Um, wider application as well to other energy policies and their relationships was also seen as a way forward. Um, so we're currently working with the GFC's J-Hub to help deliver a proof of concept uh, to establish whether the use of these technologies will be beneficial um, in a way to deliver the policy. Um, we're currently go, uh, working towards a day four event regarding the Hot House uh, in December where we can uh, bring a re-update with the progress we're doing on that. So this is sort of working alongside the current refresh that we're doing on the DLS. So um, we're in background, we're bringing the DLF up to a, a more sort of modern um, interface um, and also improve the content there. Um, and also the foundations um, for the future of the particular platform. Thank you. So recognising that next on the menu is... Hello and welcome to the Information and Innovation podcast from Team Defence. Again from Logna 18, today we have a briefing from Air Commander Andy Curtis. Um, afternoon tea break, are there any questions? <laughs>